Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. I was talking with a, uh, a guy the other day who's a Big Spring native, and we were in a meeting together, and somehow the subject came up of, you know, Big Spring, and I said something, well, how's it going over there where the Big Spring? And he said, well, unfortunately, it hasn't been a Big Spring for a long time. He said, you know, back when it was a Big Spring, uh, someone decided that maybe we could increase the flow of the Big Spring by using dynamite. Uh, and he said, so, of course, it hasn't flowed since then. <laughs> and and he kind of laughed about it. And I thought, you know, I was thinking about this Genesis series and, and the tragedy that enters into the human story. And of course, it doesn't just affect our relationships. It doesn't just affect uh, the things we do together. Uh, but Paul reminds us in Romans that all creation is travailing, is groaning with birth pains because of what happened in the fall of humanity. And so things like uh, what happened in Big Spring, or you remember the stories uh, surrounding the Dust Bowl when, when things were really bad around here and up in the Panhandle in Oklahoma and around. And uh, just some things that seem to us hilarious now, but that people thought really would work. Like there was this major propaganda to plow more. If we plow up more grassland, then it will, it will change the atmospheric pressure and it will rain more because it's so dry. Let's just, let's get those discs out and let's plow up more land. And we're all laughing, but this was in literature. I mean, this was put out and people thought this is true. So you, okay, well, let's give it a shot. And so we, we do things like that. We're, we, when God gave us dominion over creation, we, we have been very clumsy about that. And it's not just those things. It's, it's in relationships, you know, uh, imagine, I mean, think back to when you were, uh, young and married, or if you haven't been married yet, you're young or, or looking at just, you know, a young relationship. And you just imagine, I'm going to think back to the gift that was handed to me when I was a young man, I was married, and I had no idea what I was doing. And so inevitably, I was clumsy. You know, I did not handle that gift well. I made so many mistakes because I was immature and I was selfish and I was prideful. And we just make such a mess of so many of the gifts that we receive and a lot of it just amounts to just being young and being clumsy. And we cause so much harm. Uh, as we're seeking to make sense of these big questions of life, you know, how, how is it that in a good, not only good, but a very good world that God created, how in the world does evil enter in and get in the mix? And how do we make sense of all the stuff that we see in our world today? Uh, one of the early Christian explanations for this that I always find fascinating, and it's just, you know, him taking a shot, but one of the early Christian bishops midway through the second century. Uh, and so he was, he knew a guy named Polycarp and Polycarp was, was uh, mentored and made bishop by the apostles. So we know, I mean, this is a real close connection uh, to the time of Jesus. And so this guy, Irenaeus, uh, he comes along and he writes this great work uh, called On the Apostolic Preaching. And when he's talking about the Garden of Eden and he's talking about what happened to Adam and Eve and the whole mess, he says, you know, they were youthful. And in their youthful ignorance, they were more susceptible to temptation. Isn't that great? I mean, it kind of makes sense. It's like, okay, well, that's one decent explanation. I just wonder why, you know, how could they throw it all away over one thing that they were prohibited from? You know, it's just one thing. I mean, you had the whole garden, you had all this good stuff and you threw it all away for one thing and wanting a little more knowledge 
a little more pride, how selfish, you know, and how much it hurts the rest of us. But then, of course, really quickly, we see, we see ourselves in that story. And we, we watch kids, you know, and the one thing we tell them not to do, you can do anything you want while your mother and I are gone, but just whatever you do, don't touch that thing over there. And five minutes after we walk out the door, you know, we get a call. Hey, little brother, he, he touched that thing. You know, I mean, it's just the same story on repeat over and over again. And we continue to grapple how in this very good world can these terrible things happen? This Genesis account, this garden account where God creates this beautiful world and we start to make sense of all the bad things that are happening. I'm coming to just this in this series and learning this stuff. I'm coming to see this account in Genesis like a wild national park. You know, it's just like this wilderness that we don't go to very often, but when we go, there's no real way to describe it to somebody. I mean, you just have to go and you have to walk around and you have to see the wildlife and the vegetation for yourself. You kind of have to make sense of all of it. You have to be outdoors and you have to look and you have to see. And as you're doing that, you find your place in this world. And, and as we read Genesis, we quickly find our place in the story. And this is a part in the story where we, are, we find our place and we just hang our head and we go, oh man, that is so true. And it hurts and it explains a lot. But this gift of Genesis is also in teaching us how character is built, how when we make a mistake, we don't resort to blame and to shame, uh, but we recover from that and, we, and God provides us pathways for that. And so this story uh, helps us see where we fell and it also helps us see how we should yearn for redemption how from the moment that we fall, there's a rescue plan in the works that God has made a pathway, even after we threw it all away, God has made a pathway for us to come home. And so you and I, we're always on the search for Eden. What we lost in the garden, we're always trying to recover. And every time we scream and lament uh, because of a death, every time we scream and lament because a child dies, something's not right, we're hungering and thirsting for Eden. And we're climbing our way back. And Jesus is making a pathway for us. And so with the bad news of this story, quickly comes some good news that we get to talk about today. There's characters and themes in this story that we see throughout the Bible. And so we begin to learn about these things, like there was this covenant that was made in the garden that, that we broke, you know, in humanity. Here we were in the in the place that God created for us. And we had the presence of God. We walked with God like in the cool of the day and God just sort of you know, was there with us and we had this presence of God close to us. We had all this life. We could eat from any tree, all the vegetation. We didn't have to worry about insects. We didn't have to worry about pigweeds. We didn't have to worry about Russian thistle and we could just grow stuff and eat food and it was wonderful. And we could have children without pain and all this stuff was laid out before us and we had this covenant that was given to us, there was just this one prohibition. Don't eat of this one tree or else your eyes are going to be open and you're going to see things that you weren't supposed to see. You're going to try to understand things you weren't supposed to have to understand. And so we start learning about this word sin where we have, we have missed the mark, where we have shied away from God. We've chosen our own will over the will of God. One way to think of this story is that we chose, to be, we chose freedom over submission to a good God and his plan. So that's what we did. And we have harnessed ourselves to the rebellion of Adam and Eve, and here we are today. We, we're introduced to this tempter character who comes to us in the form of a serpent who was craftier, right, than all the other animals. And so this idea that, that there was this origin of evil that, 
in God's good world, uh, even a good angel uh, could fall out of jealousy or envy or pride or however it came about. And that in that evil, that this tempter could tempt humanity and we could jump right in and just join the fun. So we, we quickly recognize ourselves in this story and this one thing that we are warned about, we just jump right in uh, with both feet. And so uh, we turn to this text that Ken read for us, and we have to walk back through this because it's meant to be a little bit humorous. I mean, we read it and we go, oh my gosh, that's funny. And we, but we see ourselves in this story, right? This great story. Uh, and so we read through this tempter comes uh, to tempt Eve. He says to the woman, now did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see what the tempter does right away? He immediately distorts God. He makes God to be less generous. And this is a, a classic scheme of the devil. He wants us to think of God as being not generous. He wants us to think of God as sort of being this grumpy, you know, just going to let us have just a little bit, but it's not really going to let us have any fun in life. So he says, is, this, is it really true? Did God really say you should not eat of any tree of the garden? And of course, that's not what God said. But we're constantly hearing that from the devil. We, since the garden have been recreating God in our own image. We were created in the image of God, and we turn around now and we try to create God in our image. We try to make God like us. Uh, when I was in high school, there was a song, you know, it was always out, and you'd hear people sing all the time, uh, what if God was one of us? You remember the song? What if God was one of us, just a stranger on the bus, just trying to make his way home? You know, it's the same we, We're trying to recreate God in our image. Uh, Jason Isbell has this great song where he talks about, he says, you know, God's really doesn't turn out to be who you thought he was, did he? You know, he's talking about the tragedy of life. And he says, you know, you thought God was an architect, but now you know he's just something like a pipe bomb ready to blow. It's this idea that God's really not the good God that you thought that he was. Because just look around you. And so Eve, I mean, Eve comes in round one and she hits back hard. And she wins the first round. It's amazing. She says, wait a minute. Uh, that's not at all what God said. He said we could eat all the food we want. There's just one tree that we have to stay away from. You know, you, you, you're not going to trap me like that. And so great job for Eve. Wins round one. I mean, comes out swinging and takes care of business. Unfortunately, round two, a little more cunning, uh, comes back around. And round two goes to the tempter. And Eve falls and she takes the fruit and she eats. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Remember how the, the account ends in chapter 2, that, they, that man and woman were together in the garden, and they were naked, and they were unashamed. There's beautiful imagery, like they're unashamed, everything's fine. And really quickly now, now they're same state, nothing's changed except their eyes have been opened. They're seeing something they're not supposed to see, and now all of a sudden they're ashamed. So they feel the need to cover themselves uh, whereas previously they were just together. They were unashamed and everything was okay. So instead of wisdom, their eyes are open. They get culpability and they find out that now they know better. This is the entrance of shame into the story, right? Where we start feeling this, this weight, this burden uh, for things that we've done or things that have happened and we, just, and we carry it with us. And we, we constantly feel the need to hide. We want to hide from God. We want to hide from people. Uh, we want to hide from our kids when things get too vulnerable, and, and we just want to retreat. Meanwhile, where is Adam? 
guys. I mean, where, where is that? Is Adam napping? You know, is he, is he taking a break? You know, where, where, is, where is Adam? I mean, he's supposed to be this triumphant hero, you know, and here he is just not in the picture. So Eve, we learn, is guilty by her action, but quickly figure out that Adam is guilty by his lack of action, his inaction. And that's our fun place in the story. And we come back around, and of course, God confronts Adam and, and says, hey, Adam, uh, what's going on here? And Adam responds, you know, God asks, where are you, Adam? And he says, well, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, well, who told you that you were naked? And Adam realizes now, in addition to his shame, he reaches for the next tool, which is I got to blame somebody because I, I got to get out from under this. So he quickly turns and he says, it was her fault. Uh, this woman, it's great. If you open up your Bible and, and, and you look at chapter two, at the end of chapter two and the middle of verse of chapter three, in most Bibles, it's like in the very next column, it's right side by side. In chapter two, we have Adam saying, right, the female is created and Adam says, ah, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Like he says, this one is perfect. This one you gave me, uh, she's the one. Man, she is perfect. She's beautiful. She's wonderful. And in the very next part of the story, Adam speaks up and says, hey, this girl that you gave to me, she messed it up. <laughs> you know, so she goes from being perfect and wonderful to being the source of my problems. Uh, so you see how quickly the thing spins out of control. And Adam blames Eve for his part in the story. And, uh, and here we are. We're still doing it today. You know, We're still doing the blame game. And we're rolling along. So in the midst of that, uh, you know, so they fall and uh, they blame each other. You know, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. And so God begins this series of curses where he curses the serpent. He curses Eve and he curses Adam and he drives them out of the garden. Not like he gives them a hall pass and they go out for a little while, but like they're gone. They're out of the garden. There's an angel now guarding the garden and the tree of life and they can't go back in. That's all they want to do is go back home and they can't. And so this unique vocation that Eve had, I mean, plenty more that Eve was doing. I mean, she was farming and doing all the stuff, but she, she's the only one that can bear children. And it, it attacks her right in the heart of that. Now that's going to be a painful exercise. And the man, you know, the name Adam uh, is the name for, so Adam, Adama is the soil. And so Adam is the man who comes from the soil. And man was created to rule over the soil, Adama. And now the curse, it's twisted. And now the soil is ruling over Adam. No longer can you grow things in the soil uh, without pain. You're going to sweat now. There's going to be thorns. There's going to be Russian thistle. Every time you try to grow wheat, this stuff's going to crop up. And that's how it's going to be from now on. So what we were meant to, to rule over and to have dominion over, we quickly found that it was having dominion over us. And again, we know this story. I remember uh, when I was starting out as a summer youth director in Friona, Texas. And I, and I was 19 and I had no idea what I was doing. And I remember my very first Sunday school lesson. And I'm up, I mean, I was up late stressing and I was up early stressing. And I was like, what am I going to do and taught these kids? So I opened the Bible and I uh, started reading Romans. And I read Romans chapter five. And I read this little bit about how Jesus is the new Adam. And I thought, what? 
what is Jesus the new Adam? Why is that important? You know, and so I, and I quickly began to study and to read chapter five of Romans, and I thought, oh, I get it now. I see what's happening. I never heard that before, never understood that. And so as we sort of now we look in the New Testament and Paul's telling us how this rescue plan came into works and why it was critical that the, the way that we would come home to the garden and as one man failed, it had to be a man, it had to be a human being who would bring us back home. That's the only way the curse could be reversed. And so that's why Jesus is born of a virgin, is fully human while still being fully God. That's why he's the perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect road home. He's the second Adam. <laughs> he, he comes to us, and where Adam failed, Jesus triumphs. Where Adam succumbed to temptation, Jesus whipped temptation in the desert, remember? He overcame the temptation to get down off the cross, to not go to the cross, and he went to the cross for us, and that's our way home. And so I just want to read to you a little bit from Romans chapter 5. It's worth just reading through and hearing some of these words as we celebrate uh, that we have a pathway home to redemption. So Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, so death spread to all because all have sinned. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. He's saying, you know, we, this is that great thing that we learn and we teach our kids. We go, look, you're not a sinner because you sinned. I mean, you and I, we're not sinners because we sinned. We sin because we're sinners. You know, that's how it works. We, we inherit this. And so we, we don't know any better. We start out, we're just going to do this. That's why you don't, you don't have to teach kids how to be mean to each other. They just, they just already know. Uh, it's inborn in us. Like we're born with this uh, where we struggle. And so, but the free gift, thanks be to God, Paul says, is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift and the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. Uh, Paul says, well, thank goodness that the gift is not like the trespass. That it's way better. And he closes out and saying as, as one man's Trans trespass led to condemnation for everybody. So one's, one man's act of righteousness, that's Jesus, leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. But the law came in with the result that the trespass multiplied, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus comes along and he comes to us. You know, we, we're kicked out of the garden. We're in exile. And so Jesus comes out into exile with us and he lives a life of exile. Uh, he lives a life where he dies alone. And his friends abandon him, even his closest friends. Jesus experiences toil and pain. And he does this so that one day we might find the end of all of our suffering. And meanwhile, as long as we are alive in this mortal body, we have been guaranteed that we will never suffer alone. That's the gospel. That Jesus has died and been obedient as the first Adam was unable to do. 
And so he therefore conquered death itself, that we don't have to fear death, and that while we are alive in this body, we do not ever suffer alone, that we always have hope that if we are buried with Christ in our baptism, that we are raised with Christ to new life. And so that's what it means to be buried, to be baptized with Jesus. Uh, as we get to celebrate a baptism today, uh, this is what it means. This is why Paul says your life is now hidden. You come under the waters of baptism and your life is hidden away with Jesus. And that's where you remain. So the curse cannot reach you there. And you have, therefore, new life. We've been hidden with Christ in God. And uh, that's why we celebrate these occasions uh, like baptism. That's why we remember our baptism when we struggle and we remember that God loved us enough uh, to send his son and then to reach us in this place of exile where we could be fully alive again. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have reached us where we thought we could not be found. Uh, as much as we try to hide from you, as much as we run away, your grace has persevered. Your grace has gone before us, and your grace has found us in the moments that we least expected it. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. And we're so grateful that you reached us there. We're thankful for the promise of new life. We pray that we would lay our lives down again today that we would remember that we have been buried with Jesus, we will also be raised with him. Would you give us joy in these truths? Would you give us strength to grow in grace and to be able to live that grace in the world that others might know that you love them as well? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.